Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Just before we begin, thank you, Lord. Lord, I just pray you anoint this sermon now. Help me to speak it by the power of your name, power of the blood of Jesus. May you just anoint my words, bless my words, and help me to say the right thing. And uh, bring to light this uh, short verse uh, or verses and help it to come to light so that we can uh, gain something from it to carry through our Christian walk. So I just pray that uh, this will benefit us in many ways in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, everyone there? No. All right, so Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, and it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, this is a, a breakdown of that verse that we've just done, or those verses, I should say. A call to unity, verses 1 to 6, that's what it really is, is a call to unity. The verse 1 is a call to be holy. Verse 2 is a call to be humble, gentle, patient and tolerant. Verse 3 is we're called to unity through a bond of peace. Verse 4 to 5 is that there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And verse 6 is one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. All right, so that's a sort of a quick breakdown of that section. Ephesians 4 1 in the New American Standard. We're going to be going New American Standard for a while now because I, I really like the translation. Um, especially because I've been listening to it from Joe Schimmel for years now and uh, I just like the wording. It's a literal translation word for word, whereas the NIV is a thought-by-thought translation. So it's good to actually go into the uh, word-for-word translation when we study Scripture. In many respects, it's very similar to the NIV. You'll find only slight variations. It says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Paul refers to himself as a prisoner of the Lord. Notice that? And there's many different ways believers are referred to in the Bible. And we've got to reflect on the different attitudes and the ways that we are referred to in the Bible because these should be attitudes that we adopt as Christians in relation to God. And Paul calls himself a prisoner of the Lord. We're also termed slaves of Christ in Ephesians 6.6. Romans 1.1, Paul calls us servants of Christ or calls himself and he he calls all believers servants. So we should be servants, shouldn't we? We should be slaves to him and serve him. Jesus calls us his friends. So there's another attitude we should adopt, that we're also his friends. We're not just his slaves, we are his friends. We're not just his prisoner, we are his friends. In Matthew 12.50, Jesus refers to us as brothers, sisters, and mothers of Jesus, if you remember that passage. And uh, so in that sense, we're even closer than friends, or we should be closer than friends. We are brothers and sisters of the Lord. And uh, Peter 
calls us kings and priests, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God in 1 Peter 2.9. So Paul, when he refers to himself as a prisoner, he reflects on being imprisoned in Christ, that he's locked away in Christ. You know, he's held bound in Christ. If you're a prisoner, you're held bound, aren't you? So if you consider yourself a prisoner of Christ, what you're saying is, I can't get out of this. I'm in Christ forever. I'm locked away. I'm bound in him. I'm unable to escape. And that's a good way. We're in an inescapable prison. That way we will never give up the faith if we are bound in him and we are prisoners of him. So we should all adopt the attitude of being prisoners in Christ, and I really believe that. Another thing, when you're a prisoner, whether things go right or wrong, you can't get away, can you? You can't say, all right, I quit, I'm out of here. You're still there, aren't you? You're bound. And in that sense, we can't get away. We are bound in him. We are locked away until we're set free, which is at the rapture and, or by death. And I think, you know, in many respects, most Christians have died in Christ. They haven't been raptured up until this date anyway. So we should walk worthily in Christ. In Ephesians 4, 1, if you remember, it says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, employ to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. We should be walking worthily. Now, some people will think that's the verse which reflects that we should do good works and by them we are saved. But that's not what he's talking about at all. We're called to walk in a worthy manner. We must understand that his, this worthiness is not what makes us right with Christ but is what is expected of us as a result of belief in Christ. Right? So if you are saved and saved by Christ and what he did for us, then we walk in a worthy manner. We know that we should bear fruit as Christians because that fruit is evidence that we are walking worthily in Christ. Luke 6.44 says, For each tree is known by its fruit. So if we don't bear fruit for Christ then that's proof that we're not walking worthily in him. But if we begin to bear fruit in many different ways, our prayer life bears fruit, our fellowship bears fruit, our witness bears fruit, you know, our knowledge of him bears fruit, those sorts of things. 1 Thessalonians 4.1 says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instructions as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. So what that's telling us, even when you're walking in Christ and even when you're doing the right thing in Christ and living for him and witnessing for him and reaching out to people, doing these good things, we should excel in these things more and more. And all the more, as we see the day approaching, as we see the day of the Lord approaching, all the more we should excel in reaching people with the gospel. And that is all fruit that will be evident in our lives if we work in a, walk in a worthy manner before him. Amen? Humbleness and gentleness. And these are some of the fruits that Paul talks about, Ephesians 4.2. Some of the fruits of work, walking worthily in him is that we should walk in him with humility we should walk in him with gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Now, when it says tolerance for one another, I just want to point that out. He's talking to brothers to brothers, sisters to sisters and so on, right, within the church. It doesn't say being tolerant of false belief. We're not to tolerate false belief in the church. But we are to tolerate one another in, in, when it's not from theological issues, you know. 
just attitudes and behaviours and those sort of things. And who finds that a hard thing to do sometimes? Mm-hmm. Tolerate behaviour, even among churches. You know, I find churches that I've been involved in some of the hardest places to tolerate behaviour in people because there's such extreme behaviours in the church. It's a really, really difficult thing. Even Paul found it extremely difficult. And the churches in the first century found it extremely difficult. There were splits and factions going on all over the place in the first church. Humbleness is having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance. That's what humbleness is. Having a modest or a low estimate. Not saying that you have a bad self-esteem. That's not what humbleness is. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, the Bible says. You know, we shouldn't think that we are the most fantastic thing since sliced bread, you know. We are a creation of God and no matter how many talents and gifts we have, in the eyes of God, we're really nothing. He loves us, yeah. I'm not saying he he thinks that we're, you know, he doesn't want to discard of us because we're that of least importance. He, he, we mean so much to God, he laid his life down for us. But those gifts and talents can be taken away at the drop of a hat. What do we have that God didn't give us in the first place? You know what I mean? So those gifts don't make the person. It's the heart attitude that makes the person. You can have someone with a fantastic voice, the best voice you'll ever hear in the world, and if she's a terrible person, no one wants to know about her. Doesn't matter how well she sings. You know, and we've seen that. You know, I've heard of, you know, these divas and rock stars and stuff and they're, they've got it all, talent-wise, but they're terrible people and behind the scenes everyone doesn't like them, you know. So we've got to humble ourselves and have a modest or low estimate of one's own importance. Doesn't mean we, you know, think that we are the lowest scum of the earth or anything like that. That's not what it's saying either. Just... Mm. Just humbly be humble before a holy God and understand that we only are what we are because of what God's done for us. So James 4, 6 says, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So he, God does not like people that are proud. You know, it's amazing, but we don't like proud people, do we? People that come in and tell you, you know, within five minutes they've told you they're the best people that you'll ever meet, best person that you'll ever come across. They tell you all their talents, all their gifts, and this is how good I am. And at the end of it, all you want to do is say, okay, is there someone else I can talk to? You know, it's not good to be around someone's proud. God opposes proud people. God is against them. But he gives grace to the humble. You know, I'd much rather be around humble people. You know, and sort of in that sense, what we tend to be drawn towards is what God's drawn towards. And I think that's because we're created in his image. Matthew 5.5, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. So the gentle, those that are gentle and calm and nice and, you know, good, do right things, they will inherit the earth. And so these are qualities that Paul's telling us that we should adopt and we should get in ourselves. If we don't have them, start getting them. Get them in our hearts, get them in our lives, in our minds. And we could all do with a little bit more of that stuff, couldn't we? Yes. Ephesians 4.3 says, Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we are called to preserve the unity of the brethren, and we need to diligently work towards this. Remember, the unity of the Spirit, the Spirit of the Church, the Spirit who oversees the Church, the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit... We are called to preserve and not just preserve it 
the best we can, but with all diligence, work towards preserving it. We must work diligently towards this unity through the bond of peace, which should be the overarching aim of the brothers and sisters when they meet together. So when we meet together, our the whole objective, apart from teaching the word and all those other things we do, prayer, is to make sure that we are unified through a bond of peace, that there should always be that peace. And we should all come in every week with that bond of peace. Come in and if you don't feel peaceful, just say at the door, be peaceful and work diligently towards that peace and expressing that love towards one another. And Do you know what I'm saying? And that keeps us unified. So we bond ourselves in peace by the unity of the Spirit because there's only one Spirit, one Holy Spirit. If we all have the Holy Spirit, then we all should really be unified, shouldn't we? Because we're unified through and by God. So the oneness of believers, Ephesians 4, 4 to 6, says there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul lists seven aspects of the oneness of all believers in this passage, and we're just going to study that. So get your Bibles out. Okay, the first aspect of the oneness of believers is that there's one body, which is the church, of course, the body of Christ. If we go to Romans 12.5, so it says, So in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Isn't that interesting? So we're one body, but Paul emphasizes that each member belongs to all the others. So you don't realize, but you all belong to me. (laughs) But I also belong to you. You know, we are one. We are unified. And we should have that attitude that we belong to one another in a sense. You know, just like when you're in a family, you know, a a true family, a true family unit is that they all belong to each other. If someone asks me, you know, how many children you have, I'll say, I have three children and they're my children. Vena and my children, aren't they? They're our children. So in that sense, you know, we are a family. We're one body and we belong to each other. All right, so you can all call yourselves cartilages now. (laughs) New last names. So there's one spirit, the Holy Spirit. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians. So it's the next book along, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 6 to 11. And this really helps us to understand the what, what this means by one spirit. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, the ability to speak in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. So one and the same Spirit with all the gifts of the Spirit are all given by one Spirit. And that one Spirit is part of one God. And we have one hope, which is eternal life in Christ. So just turn to Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew twelve twenty one. All right, twelve twenty one just says In his name 
the nations will put their hope. Yeah, and I use that as this, as there's one hope and the nations, that's every nation on earth, will put their hope, their one hope in Christ. So there's one hope and that hope is eternal life in Christ. So let's go to one Lord, Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 8.6. Back to 1 Corinthians again. 1 Corinthians 8.6. And it says this. Everyone there? Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So the one Lord is referring to Jesus Christ. It says that there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 8.6. Now let's go to 1 Faith, which is Galatians 3, which is just a couple of books forward again. Galatians 3.22. So this is faith in, in Christ the Lord, 1 Faith. 3.22, but the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. I like that. Now that faith has come. So faith is nearly referencing Jesus, isn't it? Now that Jesus has come, you could just, it's interchangeable. Faith is Jesus. To have faith is to have Jesus. So there's one faith. And that faith is in Christ the Lord, or that faith is Christ the Lord. One baptism. Go back to Galatians again. Or Yeah, no, we're in it. Sorry. <laughs> Don't go back to it. 3.27, and it says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So we're clothed by baptism in Christ and the baptism, and there's one baptism, and it might take different forms. You might be sprinkled, you might be immersed in water or, or whatever. But there's, and there's different ways that some people do it, and see some at maturity. I believe personally it's got to be at maturity because you've got to willfully make a decision to follow Christ. A baby can't willfully make a decision to follow Christ. Um, so that's why I call them christenings, blessings from the church. But to willfully follow Christ, you must be an adult to make that decision. And so there's one baptism, and that's what it says there in Galatians 3.27. Let's go to the last one, which we're going to go back to the same verse we read before, 1 Corinthians 8.6. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. And that's where it says, Yes, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came, and for whom we live through whom all things came, Father of all. Okay. So overall, Ephesians 4, 6 says, One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So the Father of all, of all those who believe. He's, he's our Father. He created us through his Son Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we were created. And he is the Father of us all and all those who believe. And he's overall, he's overruling care and oversight of his people. When he uses the term all, he's talking about all who believe. He's over all of us. Because if, if you don't believe, the Father isn't over us in the sense that he doesn't ruling, he's not ruling in our lives, is he? 
But when we believe, he, he rules over us, and that, that therefore is over all of us. Mm-hmm. He blesses the righteous and the unrighteous, doesn't he? He blesses the good and the evil in the world. Not that he doesn't bless evil to make it prosper, but he allows it to take place. And if, if someone is doing evil things, he can still be blessed by God. God reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous, and their fields will still grow crops. His workplace might still produce good income. He might still have a good relationship with his wife and, and, and his children and all those things. But all of those good things come from God. And uh, that's where the unbelievers don't acknowledge that. You know, the amount of unbelievers that are having wonderful lives, fantastic lives, yet they hate God with a passion. You know, but you just wonder, why do you hate it so much? If God truly does bless you, you've, had a, you've got a blessed life. But um, he is over all who believe. He's over us. And his care and oversight for his people is, is over us at all times. He's through all. True believers become an expression of him in the world. So when you, when you go out and, and you represent Christ in the world, when you walk out in the world, you ask God, just work through me today. Help me to speak forth your, your words so that someone can be touched by you. Mm. And he can work through us. We are like taps, aren't we, in the sense that God can work through us. But what we do a lot of times is we turn the tap off. We keep it shut, locked tight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you keep a tap locked tight, it will never pour water, will it? But if you open the tap and let it run, you know, you can start to bless the world. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of us have got to do. That God's there. God can work through us. Mm-hmm. But we tend to turn the tap off. Mm-hmm and limit his ability to work through us. So that's where our will has got to be lined up with his will. And uh, he's in all. His power dwells in us as we unite as a body. He's in all of us as we unite. Ephesians 2.22 says, And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And I like this verse because it says, In him you two are being built together. We're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And that shows the importance of a church. We've got to be together. We've got to uh, become a dwelling as we unite together, as we become one together. And if we are together, then he lives in us by his spirit. I'm not saying that if you don't go to church, you don't have the spirit. You can still be filled with the Spirit. You can still speak for Jesus and stuff. But his will is that you unite. And if you unite, you're going to be a lot more powerful. But you've got to unite in the right congregation. You don't go down as a Christian. You don't go and join a, a Christian Delphian hall. And, and then they start teaching you that Jesus is not the Son of God. You know, if you go to a place like that, you are, you're going to lose the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. If you go and join a Jehovah Witness group, which believe much the same thing and a whole bunch of other heresies, you know, you join the Jehovah Witnesses, you will lose the Spirit of God. You've got to go to a place where the Spirit of God is there and you'll know them because their fruit will testify to it. And the first thing is, is they'll be telling you, Jesus is the Son of God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. You know, they'll be saying all the doctrines that we've been emphasizing so much in these years. And that's where the Spirit of God can dwell. Because if the Spirit of God is honored and if Jesus is honored as the Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins, was raised to life, you know, and that he's coming again soon. You know, he hasn't already come spiritually like some of these cults teach. He isn't here yet. He's coming soon. Amen. That's where God lives. God lives among those type of people. So let's pray just to finish. 
Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for this uh, word today, and I, I pray that it's been a benefit to uh, to us here, and I pray that through it we will just gain a little bit more understanding of you and uh, be able to grow a little bit more in you today. And, and Lord, that this, in a sense, is just another uh, meal among many meals that we've taken spiritually that will um, add to our physical growth. And uh, and I pray that you'll just put in our, all of our hearts to keep seeking you all week this week, uh, that we'll continue to read the Bible, that we'll continue to pray, that we'll do do this all the more diligently and we'll persevere in this and we'll uh, uh, you know, open up that tap so that the Holy Spirit can flow through us, that God, our Father, can flow through us and that we can reach out to people with the testimony of, of Jesus Christ and that the gospel can be preached and that, Lord, we would speed your coming through the preaching of the word. Lord, help us to do our part. Help each and every one of us here to do the part that you've called us to play in this world and that we can... Uh, make some inroads for the kingdom as we uh, continue to live for you day by day. And so, Lord, I just uh, pray all the blessings over us and uh, that you'll fill us with the Spirit and anoint us by the power of God. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Amen.